Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good buddies Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard you and didn't Michael. Know if we were buddies or friends. I don't know. Are we <laughs> friends? Are we acquaintances? How formal are we getting? We're, we're work pals. Um, okay. We're, we're buddies from work. And the job we do is this podcast of rating the top four aspects of any given topic. And this time around, the given topic is the Mount Rushmore of Musicians' Articles of Clothing. Who was this? That was about? mine. Explain yourself, sir. Well, it actually came about because a couple of weeks ago we were discussing the Ramones. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just thought about one of the things I thought about them that I didn't mention as one of my picks was just their outfits, how they have very distinct, they had very distinctive looks, whether it was the sunglasses or the rip, kind of the jeans with the knees ripped out or the black leather jackets or the converse. I mean, there is a look to being a Ramon. And that just got me thinking about how it's interesting to me that musicians even though it's an audio world that they live in, um, so many of them have these visual cues that are things that if, let me put it this way, if you put a stick figure of a lot of musicians or a really crude like kid-like drawing, but you did the, just added this one piece of clothing to them, you would immediately know who they are. Hmm. Oh, that's yeah. fun. So that got me thinking about that. Yeah, You know what's funny? I heard that uh, Rick Rubin did that as an exercise with Sir Mix-a-Lot. He showed them, he showed Sir Mix-a-Lot a, silhouette of um of a girl his... with a giant ass <laughs> <laughs> he said that's a mud flap girl you can't fool me he said uh you know do you know who these people are and it, it was all these different artists and he's you could immediately tell who they were by the silhouette he hmm. was saying rick rubin wanted to work on his silhouette who he was oh, as, that's funny that's funny a, uh i can see how those who uh, uh cut their bones cut their teeth in live performance, you know, would have would have to depend on the visual aspect of it. But yeah, I totally understand. There was what definitely, you mean. I think, also like an element of like MTV changing things. You know, in the what early ninety early nineties, early eighties, where all of a sudden it was more style over necessarily like I don't know. Did anyone did it matter what like the the, the Doobie Brothers looked like or like yeah. all these like yacht rock type mm-hmm. rock people? Like they could have they dressed like assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then all of a sudden, you know, the camera turns on them, and you've got to like, oh, now you have to be marketable in a different way. Uh huh. So what is it that is going to stand you out other than your music? Yeah, that's mm. interesting. Uh, awesome. Okay, so uh, it's funny. I did look up the Ramones. I said, "What is the Ramones leather jacket?" Yeah, it, and it's Shot Industries or something like that. But there's mm-hmm. a specific one that they had. All right, so Richard chose it. So Michael starts. Uh, my first choice is Michael Jackson's. Uh, spangly white glove. Also on my list. Okay, is that right? obvious, cool. yeah. obvious choice. It's it seemed obvious and seemed important to talk about. So I guess the story behind it is that uh, Michael Jackson, um, like in like 1980 or 81 or so, he was um, he was touring this like production facility um, for these people that are going to make a music video for like the Jackson Five. Uh, I guess they had a, a song that was coming out, and he came across. Uh, he was like kind of walking around and uh, with this one guy, John Cahey. And uh, he walked past this, uh, like a room where there was like a film editor and on the guy was like editing film or he was handling like actual like film strips. And I guess he was wearing like a, a white glove. Cause he was like checking the film strip for like a yellow kind of marking on it. I don't know if he was rubbing mm-hmm. it off or he's just handling the film yeah. like delicately. And he's like, 
Uh, apparently, he was really just like fascinated with just the image of this man wearing one white glove. Ah. So he asked to have one of like just a spare white glove that was there. And I don't know if that eventually became the actual glove that he started mm-hmm. using, where one was started to be designed for him that he'd start wearing this white glove that was like bedazzled. And that just became like the most iconic thing or one of the more iconic things about Michael Jackson is that he would be him even known as like the gloved one. He would wow. have like, he was, that was just the thing that he wore mm-hmm. when he performed, especially in the early eighties. Uh-huh. And um, I guess the first time he started performing with it and using it was at like the 25th anniversary of Motown. And he was singing um, sure. Billy Jean. Sure, that's when he broke out the uh, moonwalk for the, the first moonwalk time too. And um, it's just, it has just stuck with him. You just think of, Michael Jackson visually and you know he's changed so much from his uh, well he's dead now so that changed that changed too that's true I didn't I didn't consider that uh but just you know uh visually with plastic surgery with uh um uh vitiligo or the lightening Mm -hmm. of his skin versus all this the different stuff that it really yeah evolved in him his hair being constantly changed and everything, but you know, he always kind of still came back to um, that white glove is like this iconic aspect of, of yeah. him. Well, that's one of the things that one of the other stories that some of his friends said was that the glove was a response to the vitiligo. Mm. Um, that because he had these, which gives you blotches of kind of like white mm-hmm. skin. And that he was he had it on one of his hands, and that was one of the reasons he was interested in wearing a glove. And if you're going to wear a glove, why not make it as spangly and mm-hmm. yeah, and and dramatic as possible? Um, which I find that I find interesting if that's true, because you would think you'd want to draw attention away from it. But I guess if you're going to go, if you're going to go through the step of having the glove in the first place, you might as well make it seem like a performance piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people aren't asking questions about why you're wearing a glove if you happen it's spangly and it's you know sparkly and everything i guess it just becomes oh it's like a part of a costume hmm. that's interesting i i i don't know if this podcast uh normally addresses issues of race and with a, an amount of sensitivity <laughs> that uh uh that deserves but uh in regards to uh race and culture and performance the white glove has also been associated with minstrelsy and some other sure. performance uh, aspects, which have uh, been appropriated in a very um, um, negative fashion by uh, persons who are non-persons uh, of color. <laughs> so uh, one thing I've heard being critiqued is the glove and it 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 belonging to another era of performance and hmm. almost hmm. being a certain uh, a, a negative aspect of minstrelsy in terms of uh co-opting that 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 music and that culture by other people but but it's clearly not what he was intending (laughs) it was clearly something that he was i gained power from and gained sometimes like you know people just have like weird obsessions and sometimes you're just like oh that white glove looks visually so interesting yeah, as a singular thing versus wearing like two white gloves. Yeah, and it's strange if you like watch videos of it. It's a lot bigger than you think it is. Like, oh it, really? Yeah. It looks like a little bit like a not. It's not like quite a, a Mickey mitten. Mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of like a big Mickey Mouse yeah. hand. I mean, but he's like you know dexterous with it. He yeah. dances and holds the microphone and does all of his 
performing. Oh women. yeah. So it's not just like you know, it's not three fingers and two yeah. black dots on the oh, back yeah. like Mickey. But um, it it does look. It is. It draws your attention. Yeah. Like it like, definitely. Like Richard said. It, it, yeah. Like I mean, being spangly and rhine studded or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Uh, it's an amazing visual prop and it extends the length of his poses and it gives so much dynamic hmm. and uh, it's almost like a, a magician's misdirect too to, to throw it up there so yeah super cool okay so uh, each chose glove so uh, richard what's your first my no, my second choice your second yeah it is slash's top hat oh good one. Oh, fun um again one of those things where if you just drew curly hair on somebody and then a top hat you would pretty much know mm-hmm. it's slash um, some a, a a interesting sartorial choice. You don't normally think of most rock stars looking back to eighteen hundreds presidents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As your as your your north star. Well, I, I believe clothing, that but... Abraham Lincoln had long, yeah. flowing, curly hair too. That's true. They <laughs> never they never <laughs> and turned... also play, also played guitar. Yeah, <laughs> they never painted him that way. They never took pictures with him because it was all tucked yeah. into the hat. That's why it was so big. Yeah, all his hair he'd. Take it off and flowing down. <laughs> exactly. Ingve Malmstein had a waistcoat, I think, for a while, and also, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I did a little research on this, and apparently, Slash uh, first started wearing the hat in the mid '80s, and according to him, a lot of it had to do with stage fright, and still does. Oh. Um, according to him, he's he loves performing, but he doesn't like looking people in the in the eyes while he performs. So wearing a hat allows him to kind of put his hair down over his face. Hmm. That way ah. he doesn't have to look at people. He can kind of just has this little, mm-hmm. you know, pocket of non-hair that he can look down at his guitar whenever he needs to. But it, it just reminds me, it's for, for some reason, hats and big hats and hard rock seem to go together. Yeah. I'm thinking of Nobby Hodder from, from Slade. Okay. Another yeah. one who had like a bunch of hats with like mirrors on them so mm-hmm. little lights would catch it and would reflect off and yeah guns and roses were a band that were as much i think about the visual element than anything else mm-hmm. i mean they look like a scuzzy rock band yeah they, if you were to go to central casting and say we need which in fact in that uh in, the, in a uh, dirty harry movie the deadpool they oh were yeah! Briefly cast as the scuzzy rock band mm-hmm. in a music video that's being made. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they were the perfect look for that, and you had the kind of Slash and Axel, and Axel Rose being this like volatile frontman, to put it mildly, but certainly someone who's always the center of attention. And I just wonder if Slash felt like he needed something. If maybe he didn't have the natural showman tendencies, yeah, that Axel Rose had. Maybe he needed something as an article of clothing or something as a prop to kind of help get him to that point. Mm-hmm. And that's what the top hat wound up becoming. Mm-hmm. It it does have a classic, almost like it feels like it could have walked off a tattoo flash art from uh, you know Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, it, like a really really shitty tattoo. Yeah. It looks like a really shitty tattoo. Yeah, that's uh that's an interesting choice. I also have heard legend though that Slash is actually three piles of hair that were stacked up, and then they put the top hat on it, and he came to life and started playing guitar. Yeah, yeah, 
I also wonder how, I mean, <laughs> I wonder how much he realized he looked like Cousin It. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other question. Yeah. Was that a, was that an intentional choice mm-hmm. or did it just happen by accident? That would be... <laughs> I, I would love I would love a music video of Slash trying to hide, like hiding from the police, and he hides accidentally behind a snowman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just completes the look. Yeah. I like the idea that all of Guns N' Roses originally they they in some goofy turn of events they rented one tuxedo for prom and had to split it amongst them. <laughs> that's how that's that's how struggling they were. Yeah. Duff was the, the pants. Duff guy, got right? the cumber band yeah. or something. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. That's funny. All right. Uh, was the Slash also grew up somewhat in the entertainment industry? Where his yeah, his know? family was in the industry. I mean, yeah. I felt like his de- his uncle was Ahmed Erdogan or 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 Clive Davis or something like that. Or uh, I'll look this up. Okay. While you guys okay. are okay. talking about Michael's okay. second choice. All right. Michael's second choice is uh, the Daft Punk helmets. Oh, there I love it. Go. Okay. Like more it. more headwear. Yeah. Um, the. French electronic duo of Daft Punk. The two people behind the masks are Guy Manuel and Tomas. And um, early in their career, they decided that uh, they were going to remove themselves uh, visually as people in this electronic thing from the the visual of it. That it wasn't going to be about uh, when music is played humans are there playing it it is these faux robots that yeah. are creating this music and all of their music has this mm-hmm. um you know kind of robotic synthesis synth- yeah. synth- synthetic voices and as if robots have come down and you know learned how to do the robo boogie and all that stuff <laughs> um but and with that they kind of um wanted to create like a robot look for themselves that they could wear and they wore it Everywhere, there's very few pictures that you can see of the two guys, yeah, sans uh, these helmets, yeah. And um, I guess they were inspired by uh, the day the earth stood still. Oh, cool. Uh, the robot was at Gort, Gort, or good or Gnut, depending on who mm. who was saying it or writing it, yeah. Um, they're inspired by just that, that kind of blank look on yeah. the faces, and they've um, each, each of the two um, musicians kind of had uh, one was more kind of vertically. Uh, uh, kind of situated across yeah. their their face, and the other one was more horizontally. So, even being robots, they had still like a personality behind yeah. them. And over the years, the helmets they wore became more and more um, dynamic, and they kind of change with um, each kind of different album. They become more sophisticated in terms of the electronics that were in, in in inside, and would be able to like display messages and display images. And a lot of it was controlled by like a keypad on their arm so they can kind of communicate without having to say anything, just yeah. by kind of typing into their arms. Yeah. Um, I mean, just wild, very, you know, kind of, uh, really committing to a bit. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone so far that we've talked about has this sense of this thing that they wear becomes who they are as their performance, whether yeah. you're hiding behind it um, to help you perform like slash or hiding behind it with these, mask to remove that sense of humanity from being on stage to have it purely about being like a musical thing yeah but at the same time so super visual in terms of lights flashing over their heads and um you know uh even when they did like the music for the movie tron they had a 
different mm-hmm. helmet for that. And they, you mm-hmm. know, very specific. And I think that, you know, uh, Richard, we've like committed and Jeff, we've committed to bits for like kickball teams, for, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, eight to 11 or 12 week span. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine doing it for, you know, almost 20 years. Yeah. Like, and like, that's just, you go out and you do this all the time. You, you're only dressed up like a robot with all the, mm-hmm. everything that goes into it. It's like, um, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think there's someone, that, there's someone on the tip of my tongue that'll come back to that, that committed to it. It's very, um, uh, who's the comedian? Uh, Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Yeah. 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 It, it almost seems like even a guy like Sasha Baron Cohen during filming in the Borat films or whatever, supposedly never broke character. Even when they were getting, being arrested, <laughs> he kind of committed to that yeah. bit. Which is why I remember it being a big deal a few years ago before they retired when apparently they showed up to Sony Records to do something and they were, they want, they wound up playing a game of, well, this, this is funny to begin with, of beer pong, but instead of beer, they were using champagne. Yeah. Which is the most French thing you possibly do. <laughs> and then they had their hat, they had, they were just in suits just with their hats off and someone took a photo of it and it got leaked online. Mm-hmm. And it was like a big deal to see the two of them, like without their helmet. Yeah. I mean, it was like. There oh. is a doc about them and I think it did originate in a similar um, uh, stage fright situation as, as a Slash because you see them playing as a duo early on and they're wearing masks kind of a kind of bank robber type masks, you know, slightly translucent masks. Okay. And that I think evolved into the full, into the full robot thing. And then, and you know, they must be aficionados of like Croftwork because they, they Croftwork was doing the robot thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just robotic in and of <laughs> yeah. themselves. Yeah. They didn't need masks. My, one of my favorite um, things of, to watch is the Grammys. And I think it's 2013 when they, they do a kind of a guest appearance. Oh, probably and, uh, would like get lucky. Get lucky, yeah. yeah. And they're in their Empire versions of the uh, robot costumes. Mm-hmm. So they're all white, almost like the Hoth planet <laughs> versions. And for me, that was just like, oh my God, that just blew me away, was these guys in their bit commitment. But have you ever seen Electroma? I think the, sh- the short film they no. did where the robots want to be people mm. in this film. And they're driving along freeway and they pull off into a city and they're driving through this small town and it is a rural small town and you'll see uh and they're driving down the street and they're kind of freakish to the people in the small town but all the people in the small town also are robots they have the same helmets mm. so it'll be a mom and her little kid it'll be a guy a uh, old old guy mo- uh water in his yard they all are wearing those helmet things oh, and then that. thomas and Guy manuel get go into some special procedure where they have faces grafted onto the helmets. So they're like cartoon giant versions of their real life faces uh, molded onto these helmets. So it's such a meta, crazy meta thing. But yeah, oh God, I love it. Those things are like thousands of dollars. I, I want a helmet so bad. <laughs> they're thousands of dollars. Okay, okay, okay. Does that mean that we, we are, are at, at our, our half time? We are at our half time. And we want to... Uh, say thank you to those who are out in the audience who have been watching our streams. Uh, this week won't be streamed. We'll if be. You are watching, if you are watching, watching us, yeah. Then what are what's you doing? What's yeah. going on here? You are you, literally, yeah, inside the recording you're studio in, and you're freaking us out. Yeah, in the, it's. I don't know. I kind of like it because I'm to- totally naked right now. 
and you're looking at me <laughs> just wearing a Daft Punk helmet that he's I'm tried to make himself. <laughs> Those are like a thousand dollars. I want one. So yeah, do us a solid and download, rate, and review past episodes. We'd really appreciate it and suggest future episodes. You can do that on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love to learn what you think we should talk about and then talk about it with you is always an option with the power of Zoom. So at this point, we're going to get back into the game, and Richard Manfredi is going to let us know his third choice. All right, my third choice is Madonna's Madonna's conical bra. Mm. Oh, can, not canonical. Not canonical, Okay, but conical, <laughs> okay. as in cone-shaped. Okay. Um, first seen in the uh, Like a Prayer uh, tour, Okay, and then kind of popping up on and off again throughout that whole kind of time period. One of the most iconic looks of all the looks, though, of all the iconic looks that she's had. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something. Uh, designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know him? You're no. fr- you, 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 you friends with him? In Guy Manuel. And him and Guy Manuel, yeah. <laughs> Thomas Bangalter. Yeah. Um, and he was known for these very severe kind of looks. And that was something that Madonna wanted to try and play around with. And I just love the idea that it's taking something like lingerie, which is supposed to be soft and feminine, and turning it into something that's, like I said, severe and harsh and, and, and pointy and, and angular. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really kind of plays with the whole concept of sexuality and power and what women are and aren't allowed to wear. Yeah. What is or isn't acceptable. And that that checks out with Madonna. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that that text ticks all the boxes for her. I think. Yeah. Do you feel like it is also a little bit of a throwback to like the Jane Russell, um, uh, Howard Hughes designed bra? Oh sure, yeah, the uh, those bullet bras, the bullet bra fifties. Yeah, yeah. I think there. I, I think she is somebody who obviously went through a very heavy Marilyn Monroe phase. Mm-hmm. You know, that was around the time same time that she was. It was right before she did Dick Tracy. Yes. I think so, kind of, you know, when she did Breathless Mahoney, and that was also very much a Madonna yeah. doing cosplaying as Marilyn Monroe sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I think there is certainly the history of her, you know, looking to that time period for fashion inspiration. Yeah, that's a cool choice. And I think, like you said, like the male gaze is going to happen, but when you kind of, cont- when you, realize that you are in you are the subject of the male gaze or this this lens that is um perverting or prostituting your identity as a female when you when you one up that person you're yeah. you're, in, you're in control now yeah yeah no yeah. It, it definitely it, it shifts the power dynamic yeah. to the female and you know it may kind of challenges you in terms of like why do you think this is attractive yeah only other person doing it was Laura Croft in the six pixel polygon whatever <laughs> eight bit version of Tomb Raider. Exactly. <laughs> I think she too, um, she was always trying to. It seems like push herself and kind of shed like past personalities. I think for the longest time, you know, she was you know she was known as the Material Girl. Yeah. And I think that she had to really do something and uh, change the way how everyone views her. And I right. Think this, it, you know, whether it was putting out. A book about sex literally called sex that you could only buy like uh with a cover wrapped on with a cover wrapped on it paper, and yeah. like you know very um uh yeah very controlling like you said you can controlling the conversation yeah 
Okay, cool. Uh, and so now we are at Winfield's third. My third pick is the white swan dress that Bjork wore. Oh, awesome. Nice. Um, not only to the um, Academy Awards when she was there um, performing, and um, I believe she was nominated for Dancer in the Dark, but it was also used on the cover of um, uh, her 2001, 2001, I believe, uh, album Vespertine. And she kind of used it touring. She had like a couple versions of it made mm-hmm. so that um, I guess it was, you know, it's a, kind of a swan thing. You can't get it dry cleaned. You can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> there's nothing that can happen to it that yeah. you can like just take it into, um, you know. The, the dry... one hour martinizing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't one hour martinize a, a swan. So uh, Bjork is a very interesting person yeah. um let's <laughs> put it mildly and i think that this you is heard what, it here first <laughs> breaking news <laughs> bjork is weird but i think people didn't realize kind of how like obsessive she could be and how weird she really is as a person until this this kind of thing happened where she was just really into swans at the time she was really feeling <laughs> she was really wow like obsessed with like feeling very um swan like is it an ugly duckling thing no just like... very um i believe it was like very motherly okay and um but also very um i guess swans are uh what's the word monogamous uh, monogamous yeah. thank you and um so she had all like these kind of conflicting feelings of that and was just like obsessed she was a thing that she was mm-hmm. just presently obsessed with and so that translated into her going to the Academy Awards and feeling like, oh, if I'm going to be, if this is probably the first and only time I'm going to be here, I want to feel like I'm motherly and laying an egg here. And she did yeah. a whole little thing with wow. an egg and performed with this thing. And wow. I, I think people just see like a woman wearing like a weird swan dress and they're like, oh, well, she's just strange. But it's, yeah. I think it more speaks to um, a person who is highly obsessive about things. Yeah. And this just happened to be um, what she was presently obsessed about. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an interview she gave uh, a couple of year, few years after, she was like, you know, I think it's, or maybe it was even around the time, she said something to the effect of, uh, it's easy, like when you're five years away from something to look back and explain what you were thinking. Yeah. But when you're in the middle of it, you can't really, you just kind of say, I like swans. Yeah. Right. Well, to have the boldness to do that, you know, painters get to have their phases that they go through, but to, to know intuitively, the more I analyze it or put a label on it, the less it's going to be compelling yeah. to me. So that's that's really cool. But I think that really kind of defined her and really, um, uh, wow, pardon the pun, kind of pigeonholed her in that mm-hmm. sense is that she just became the person that wore the swan dress yeah. and performed in it later. And she yeah. used it. She was obviously... with with her album cover became very visually important to her. And I, I'm guessing that the, um, that the kind of criticisms kind of rolled off her back. I don't think she cared. She doesn't seem to be a person that yeah. cares about what other someone would yeah. say in that sense. And is she also, there's another, also uh, weird, also weird. Yeah. <laughs> there's another musician whose uh, clothing is, is something I don't know. I want to say because he might, might mention it, but, um, that was inspired by the theater. So I don't know if Bjork's um, original career as an actress might have given her this idea of these are my costumes that I do in my in my performance that I'm giving as singer. So I could see how she 
might take a very theatrical approach to it, as opposed to Dylan, Bob Dylan, who you know is very decidedly wearing what he slept in the night before yeah. on stage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is something I learned today. Swan is really interesting. That um, the Chinese word for penguin is business goose. <laughs> oh, I love it. Bus- so business goose. Yeah, I love it. He's that's dressed. Incredible. He's dressed for his business job in a that's, suit. That's also my nickname at work. Business goose. The business yeah. goose. Yeah. If uh, I was, if they were to redo Top Gun uh, <laughs> with the same actors. Okay. Uh, all right. That is means Richard is up. My last choice. Last one. I think the most fun choice out of all of these. Um, and I would argue the most fun choice that we're going to have. Hmm. Even throwing oh. the, I'll even throw that gauntlet wow, down. Old. That's a, it's gar- a gauntlet. That's a guarantee. <laughs> it's a gauntlet. It actually is a gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. That is no. Um, my choice is Elton John's sunglasses. Mm. Oh, fun. Okay. Um, he apparently owns about two hundred and fifty thousand pairs of sunglasses, well, sure he according does. to him. <laughs> which my first reaction was, "Yeah, right." My second reaction was, "Eh, yeah, okay. actually." Elton John? Yeah, I kind of buy yeah. that. Yeah. Um, started wearing glasses when he was 13. Um, and he started wearing uh, the kind of the, the thick glasses because one of his idols was Buddy Holly. Oh, cool. So he started wearing that in kind of tribute to him. And then just over the years, the glasses started to get more and more outrageous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was looking at the, some of these... Some of these glasses that he's worn over the years, there's a pair that has like awnings that would come down. So like real sun sunglasses. You know, there's the classic kind of like big giant square ones. Yeah. There's ones that have feathers coming out of them, out of the out of the top of them. Just any manner of of sunglasses you can possibly imagine. I can't imagine how many people sent this is maybe where he got to two hundred and fifty thousand. Because I would imagine that he just had people sending him sunglasses yeah, all the time. Like, hey, I found this really cool pair of sunglasses, Elton. Thought mm-hmm. you would like it. Yeah. Send it along to him. Yeah. I wonder if he's if he sees, like, you know, every year at the the drop of the ball, he's just in New York and sees the 2000, 2001, yeah. 2020. He's just like, these are so... No, well, no way, you guys. These, <laughs> these are awful. What if we found out that he had... Say five hundred original ones, and the rest in two hundred forty nine thousand Oakley wraparound, <laughs> just like uh, just like a minor league pitcher would wear, you know, or something, or blue blockers, blue blockers, blue blockers. whatever <laughs> where things are the reflective ones that the cops wear. Yeah, yeah. Well, is he just a guy that's always losing them too? Yeah, He's yeah. Just like, I don't know. Maybe what? he owns two hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> he, get, he gets out of the cab, calls him back. What, what, what do they look like? Well, they <sighs> they look exactly like two grand pianos. <laughs> do you happen to have those ones? I I would love that he would set them down at a coffee table. <laughs> goes, oh, are these my sunglasses or your sunglasses? <laughs> no, I don't have. I, I, I'd have sunglasses yeah. that look like eight yeah. balls. Yeah, or a Donald Duck costume for that matter. <laughs> Does it seem like he was carrying on in a? Uh, it's obviously a big to play the stadiums that big, to deliver a show that big. It was also not um, not part of the whole glam rock movement and all that kind of stuff, but it definitely seems like he saw Liberace growing up on TV mm. and said, here's a guy who's, who's putting on a big glitzy glamour show. Now, do you think he reached a point, too, where he could have gotten like LASIK? <laughs> <laughs> and just didn't, or has, has he had, he had has LASIK, he had LASIK yeah. and it's just like these, none of these are prescription. No, 
Yeah. These are all just clear glass or plastic Absolutely. or whatever they are. 100%. Absolutely. Do you think he has 250,000 uh, contact lenses that are just interesting that have the eight ball and like a little <laughs> spiral? <laughs> They're, square. They're square somehow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, Winfield, you're last up to bat. My last choice is Elvis Presley's jumpsuits. Oh, okay. Um, originally designed by a gentleman named Bill Ballou. I believe that's oh. how it's pronounced. Oh. Between 1968 and 1977, obviously, until he died. I wonder if he was buried in a jumpsuit. Mm. I hope so. Huh. I don't know. Oh, could you imagine designing his his death? Funer- his funeral. Funeral death jumpsuit. I'll have you know mm. in podcast world, these guys are using air quotes when they put buried and died. Yeah, Everybody Thanks. knows he's with JFK Jr. <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're plotting. They're with right. the Illuminati now, we know. Um, so he would design, I, I guess uh, Elvis was doing, I think we talked about his comeback, his big 68 comeback special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were talking about what it would look like visually and what he kind of wanted to wear. And um, I guess he's saying like, oh, you know, I've never really seen you, I've seen you wear like a leather jacket, but never really like seen you dressed all in leather before so he kind of designed this kind of leather outfit from head to toe and then the guy was like well i think we you know can do a little more and he thinks that he's like uh elvis looks like he could pull off like napoleonic dress <laughs> and like napoleon these big kind of big collars and he has a face for it and so he started like designing like these jumpsuits for him so he could move around on stage and not get oh cool caught on things mm-hmm. and do whatever it is he's gonna do and did it have something to do with his karate love of karate i don't know but i, I wouldn't be surprised i mean it seems like that's right in there too right but you know they would start getting you know obviously the 68 special it's a lot you know more trimmed down yeah i mean physically but also like just visually it's oh, yeah. you know kind of all black and iconic but you know they'd start uh developing kind of more uh, elaborate like embroidery and sequencing yeah. with like a, fi- a phoenix motif or like a fire motif or uh you know patriotic eagle or an owl or black mm-hmm. butterfly all these different yeah. things and you know for a person that you know it's he definitely also had like a stages in his career of just how he looked he was at the end of his career the last what 10 years this is this is what you when you think of elvis he's in yeah. these outfits yeah yeah and it's just like it is as defining for him as it was when he was like just you know wearing like a suit and mm-hmm. big open collared shirt and yeah a pair of slacks you yeah know, on the wherever on yeah at sullivan oh that golden may thing or yeah that's fascinating I, one i didn't know the name of the guy who I, for some reason i thought it was nudie of hollywood or no something. nudie did all of the uh the country western Okay. rhinestone like buck owens and okay. then would wear like all of the the, the rhinestone yeah. jackets and stuff like that which does make me wonder if elvis kind of that was a little bit of an inspiration for that since he mm-hmm. you know was someone who who kind of dabbled in, in the world of, of country yeah if that if those nudie suits would you know and then the kind of idea of you know these rhinestones just sparkling on stage if that was something that was an inspiration to try and mm-hmm. uh, copy i just i, just, I wonder you know, I just see, is it on Hot August Nights or somebody, uh, um, Neil Diamond has a uh, yeah. real Elvisy looking jumpsuit on. Mm-hmm. And and then as a kid, I remember seeing Evil Knievel and thinking, well, what about this guy? Is he Elvis too? Because <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like Evil had, had like a jumpsuit like that also. Did, did those, did the jumpsuits ha- Which came first? No, I'm wondering if how you, 
went to the bathroom in those? Because did the pants, like, is it like a one-piece thing? I'm not uh, familiar with exactly how the the mechanics of the Elvis jumpsuit works. Is there a, is there a person, like, having to zip you in the up in the back with a cape over it? Yeah. I mean, well, the cape look, too. That was, yeah. I mean, that's when it started to... That's where it get, really started getting silly. Yeah. I know an individual who, for his wedding uh, reception, uh, <laughs> Still left holding up a mirror and took <laughs> yeah. off, took off the target black target suit that he got married in, and came out in a in an Elvis jumpsuit and saying "Viva Las Vegas." Uh, and I recall it had a zipper all the way down front that you could mm. <laughs> that you could take care of business in a flash with uh, TCB if TCBY. you needed to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just said TCBY like the yogurt company. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I wasn't going to point that out. <laughs> no, but I'm glad you appreciate it. No, I fell on my sword. Uh, boy, okay. All right. Well, those are some great choices. Um, yeah, it, it definitely iconic. And if you were going to go as Elvis for Halloween, that's, that's the thing you would wear um, for sure, that jumpsuit. Okay, uh, gonna 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 be honest here. This is, might be a rarity, but um, uh, we each get the MJ glove because heck yes, and that's a that's a pretty great one. Uh, for those who have never listened to the podcast, this is the time. This is the time when I have a bad Cockney accent. Point this is it. the time when uh, we rate uh, MJ glove, and then we're gonna go. Daft Punk helmets, Elvis jumpsuit, Madonna bra. So okay. it's kind of a three for for Michael and no, a two for for. I got I got the Madonna. Okay, so, so did, Michael uh, got two and a half. I got one and a half. Okay, awesome. I'll take well, it. Well, thank you uh, for listening, and and I am Jeff, and I'm wearing my signature uh, speedo with suspenders. <laughs> I am Richard, and I'm wearing my signature suspenders with no speedo. Hi, Michael. No! Oh.